Part of the fun of coming here to Walla Walla is that I know so many people and many faces. It's even interesting being here this morning. I realize so many faces that are familiar that it's been so many years since I've had interaction with one-on-one, but looking forward to being a part of this community. Um, As the children and youth ministries pastor and having my first sermon here, I was thinking, you know, what does that mean? Do I need to come up with some great act? Do I need to have, you know, a smoke machine or something to, um, to make this all exciting and interesting, which I love those sorts of things. I've actually uh, really enjoyed being parts of drama and, and other, other types of visual type ministry. So doing something that's, that's fun and, and unique and creative is something I like to do. On the other hand, as I, was, as I was thinking about it, I think the most important thing that any of us needs to know is that we are loved, that we are cared for, and that there's somebody there listening. And so as a new pastor coming into this, into this church, I am hoping that that type of level of trust can be grown with me and with you, and that we can grow into a, a relationship where, where some of those meaningful parts of life can be shared together. It's hard to share some of the heavy, heaviness of life when you're on your own. And thinking about that, I, I'm just remembering my, my own experience. As a, as a teen, I remember, I mentioned earlier that my grandmother died when I was 13. That was pretty significant. She was a huge part of my life. She was also, um, my mom had gone through a lot of, of chronic illness with rheumatoid arthritis. And so she had been very active in our, in our growing up, my grandmother had. So about that time, and after she died, I went into a a, a kind of a depressive state. And at the time, I didn't even realize, I didn't associate it with my grandmother, but it was a time that was just dark. There was a lot of, there were a lot of questions going along, going on in my life, a lot of fears. And I remember one day, we lived pretty close to the church. And I... One day I thought, you know what, I've just got to talk to somebody who will, who will understand me and listen to me. And I started thinking, I wonder if the pastor's at the church. So I started down the road, and it was about, I would say, a mile, mile and a half down to where the church was. And so I started down the road walking, and I got halfway down the road, and my courage failed me, and I turned around. And I never completed that walk. And in the years that followed, there were a lot of hard times that I went through. And I've always wondered, I thought, you know what? I wonder if I had actually completed the walk and gone and sat down in the office with the pastor and visited if some of the things that seemed so dark and so looming and so huge in my life could have just disappeared. They could have been gone. And so this is nothing to do actually with the pastor at that time. He was a a great guy and very open and a a person that was approachable. But it has always stuck with me as the fact that in in our congregation, in our community around us, there are people that are longing to be heard. And there are youth that are longing to be heard. There are kids that are longing to be heard. There are seniors that are longing to be heard. So many things we carry on the inside that if we can sometimes just share those with somebody else and invite God into that experience, 
so many burdens would just disappear or be lifted. And in fact, in my own life, I found that as time has gone on, burdens have lifted as I've been able to, to express and share and, and be in that kind of an experience. So I'm hoping as, as I enter into this church and into this congregation that trust can be built so burdens can be shared and relationships can be built. This summer, the conversations going on on Sabbaths have been about the parables Jesus told. And I believe Jesus told parables so that hearts could be opened and so that, that the listeners at whatever age they were at, whatever culture they were coming from, could hear the words that were being spoken because it wasn't just rhetoric. It was a story that was engaging. Today, we're going to look at Luke chapter 8, verses 10 through 14, one of Jesus's parables. And it's one of those that, you know, there are, there are parables that you look at it and you go, oh, that's a parable, because it's, it, it, it has a very much of a story feel to it. This one also is a story feel, but you can almost just see it happening right in front of you. It's, it's like maybe he's just seen this the other day, and this is something he's bringing up as an illustration. Jesus said this, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. I can almost imagine him as he says that, kind of looking out of the corner of his eye at the other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like the tax collector, that tax collector, in fact. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance, dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus told this parable, knowing that those who heard it would side with one of the two individuals. They were either going to side with the, the tax collector or they were going to side with the Pharisee. Now, there's a, a word in English that has also been used for this same story, and it's the word publican. Sometimes that will be used interchangeably with the tax collector simply because publicans uh, have a history, had a history of being independent, independent contractors that were worked for Rome, and they would collect taxes, but they had other jobs and, and, and uh, contracts that they would get involved in, such as building uh, buildings in the, in the cities and towns and having other parts of the society. So it was a person that was, that was used by the Romans, but it was usually also someone who there would be a bidding process sometimes, who would get the highest bid, who could say, well, I'm going to get the most taxes for Rome. And then if they met their quota, anything they got in excess was theirs personally. 
So you can imagine that sort of a system lent itself to someone trying to get the most they could, the biggest bang for their buck, and not always using honest moral scruples in order to, to accomplish that task. So Jesus is telling this, and he knows his hearers are probably going to side one way or the other. And, and as I'm looking at it, I, it almost seems cliche. Who, who, who are we going to side with? Well, of course, the poor tax collector. Poor guy, he's, he's the one everyone hates. And, and um, so that's where the story goes. And maybe because we've heard the story so many times, that's where, we're gonna, where we'd want to go. You know? Typically, what will happen is we talk about Jesus and his interactions with people in his day is that we will have, you know, there's the big bad Pharisees that we want to say, man, we don't want to be like the Pharisees. They're just evil. And then there's the sinners and the, 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 the poor and the, the tax collectors, and we just kind of lump them all together. As I was thinking about this story, though, I began to realize as Jesus was telling it that most people listening to the story except the tax collector probably were on the side of the Pharisee. Think about it. The poor and, and downtrodden who had had their, their children ripped away and sold into slavery, who had lost dreams of what they wanted to become, who had lost their farms, lost whatever business they had because some tax collector had tried to take away from them. Those people are not going to be on the side of the tax collector. As this story is being told, the only person that is going to be at all relating to it is the tax collector, maybe a few of his friends, and that's it. Jesus knows this because he's telling a story that he's wanting to try and touch every heart with. He's wanting every heart to wrestle with what he's talking about. 2,000 years after the fact, I have to admit, as I read the story, I don't have any emotional bias toward the tax collector. He hasn't taken my sons and daughters. He hasn't ruined my business. He hasn't taken all my money so I can't have my wife go into the doctor. He hasn't done any of that. It's easy for me to just let him pass just for that and not even feel much in my own soul. In fact, I can relate to him. He's passionate and real. He's crying out. The text doesn't say he's crying out, but I don't think I can, even in my wildest imagination, imagine someone beating their chest and whispering. If he's beating his chest, something is going so bad within his soul that he is crying out to God. He's pouring out his soul. Deep inside, there's something in me that longs for his honesty. Maybe it's the part that in all of us happens when we sit in a room and we look at all the people around us that we know and are, are engaging in a social situation and wishing, you know, I just wish these people knew me. I wish they really could enter into my heart. Maybe it's also the part of us that is longing for change, longing to be able to be different, longing to have something different in our, in our situation. 
This ability to relate to the tax collector, to the publican, can be an asset in this story. But it can also be a negative. Because maybe in just aligning ourselves with the publican, we might forget what the heart of the story is all about. What is really, because Jesus is lifting up the publican's experience, the tax collector's experience. But what is it about that experience that he is trying to bring home to his listeners? In contrast to the publican, we also have the Pharisee's arrogance and his arrogant response. The publican is very self-aware. He knows where he's been. He knows what his problems are. He's, he's pouring them out, hoping for something that will bring him up from the place he's at. In contrast, the Pharisee is sharing what he thinks about himself, but what is in reality self-lies. Self-lies aren't necessarily easy because we have a conscience that does prick us about self-lies, but they do come naturally. The man of sin or woman of sin that lives inside of us naturally wants to lie about who we are, wants to protect the brokenness. So for the Pharisee to become in good standing with his community, he had to spend years fabricating a parallel identity, living half-truths, shutting down his conscience when confronted with others' pain. To our 21st century sensitivity, this arrogance and hypocrisy is offensive, it grates against us, and it automatically says, no, this is not truth. This, this Pharisee should be condemned. However, the truth of this parable and the problem of the Pharisee is very much alive among us today. It fills social media pages where we post happy pictures of family and friends being together. And in reality, those people are angry and fighting and hurting. It lives when you or I look at somebody else and despise the way they live, the way they act, the way they even glorify God. It lives also in those whose love grows cold towards those that believe differently or have some different political or theological ideology. In short, I would say the heart of this parable is all around honesty in a person's life. How honest are you? I have a friend who's had a very difficult life. She's suffered a lot in her life, and she's, in, in fact, she's a, she's a church member that, that I had from years back. We've, we've been in a, a friendship for years, and, and the interesting thing is she was in a, in a district I had many, many years ago, and then more recently she's been in another district. And so we've had, I've had time to get to know her over the years and some of her struggles and things she goes through. I asked her if I could share this story um, because 
she's been through so much in her life, and she's had a lot of people that have lied to her. And so that's very hard for her to deal with. As a result, Revelation 21 has been something that, that she's quoted to me before, talking about liars, because lying hurts, and she's been hurt by people who have lied. Revelation 21.8 says this, right after it talks about the glories of heaven and what heaven looks like, it says, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers, immoral persons and sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, that's highlighted when she's quoted this one to me, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So she's shared this a few times. It's saying even some of the people that, that have lied to her, she's shared this text with. It's one of those texts that's kind of painful, actually, to listen to, because I, I, I don't like, first of all, hearing about the second death. It's a, it's a terrible, sad, horrific experience for someone to be consumed. So it's not a text I go to and relish. However, once again, like in, in Revelation and other places, those who are suffering, sometimes it's appealing to hear, hey, those that are hurting others, are gonna, it, there's going to be a stop to it. However, recently, I thought it was interesting, and, and this was the part she said, hey, why don't you share this, is that her eyes were opened as she was reading the text that she was getting comfort in and that she had quoted to many people. She read from the beginning, and she read about the cowardly and the unbelieving. And she said, you know what, pastor? I'm cowardly and I'm unbelieving. And suddenly she realized she had to stop quoting the text. In reality, what had happened is she realized her own lie. Here, looking at others that had done blatant lies, it was very hurtful, but suddenly she realized she had her own set that needed to be worked on. Lying is a problem. It's a problem when, when it consumes a person in a very blatant way. It's also a problem when it becomes just a way of life. And it's that slippery kind of lie that just keeps us from being real. Lying to ourselves about who we are ultimately separates us from God. And I think going back to Revelation 21, that's really the point. Not just that someone lied about some deal they were doing, but that what is it that separates you from God? It's the part of you where you lie so much to yourself, to others, that you lose the aspect of who you are, the identity that God created within you. I think also of the parable of the ten bridesmaids, where Jesus says that when the five foolish bridesmaids come up to the door of the wedding, these girls had been out there, there was part of the, the Eastern culture of, of processing through town with the, the bridegroom coming to the house, and uh, the five that had ran out of oil and, and didn't have themselves together, they show up the, at the door of the bridegroom and they knock on the door and say, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. And he calls back, believe me, I don't know you. That ending to that story is really a heartbreaking response. It's really connected also with Revelation 21. It's connecting us to the fact 
that the more we lie to ourselves, the more we create a false identity, the more we lose of who we are, the person God has made us to be. I think the only response we can have to it is say, God, how do I become honest? How do I become honest and real and authentic? There's a lot of talk in our society even about this. People, people like to rag on the hypocrites and talk about how honest and real we need to be. And yet sometimes even in that experience, being able to navigate honesty is difficult. Does that mean you just throw out all your baggage everywhere you go? You let everyone know everything about you. I guarantee you if you do that, there's going to be some excruciating pain. There's reasons why God has in places said, you know, there's some, some safety places that have to be put up. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be a person that just lets everything out about everything. Sometimes someone will say, I'm telling you something in truth. And they tell something about somebody else. And it's painful truth. It was truth that did not need to come out. However, that's different than living the life of being a person who's humble about who you are. Who's open to criticism. Who's open to interacting. Who's open to, to having having change in your life. And that's where God's going, I believe. Jesus is going with this parable. Developing an honest heart is key to being knowable. I've noticed as we've gone through this whole (laughs) coronavirus pandemic, the, the interesting phenomena that happens when we wear masks I'm one that I have some immune compromised people in, in my family, in my house. So I wear my mask regularly. If you're around me, I usually, you'll find me putting it on because I have those that I don't want to get COVID-19. However, I also have noticed the distance that develops with the mask. Notice the fact that how is it that some little piece of fabric going over your mouth suddenly makes the other person feel a world away. It's true. In a sense, that's where lies and lying about ourselves takes us. The more we cover the person we are, the less knowable we are. In fact, to me, the, the masking up has really illustrated the fact that I really don't want to become part of some ultimate reality with no body. That does not sound good. When you lose your, your body and your identity and, and the pieces of you, and, and I'm saying that and realizing probably out there, there's some of you that have maybe lost a limb or lost some part of your body. Um, it's got to be uncomfortable. It's a changing experience, and we live through it and deal with it. At the same time, to be without a body leaves you completely unknowable. How do we interact if there's no body to hug, to touch, to see, to somehow experience? Honesty in our lives makes us vulnerable, but it also puts us in a place of being knowable, being able to interact together. Developing a heart of honesty is really not something we can do on our own. Our human response is not to be honest. It starts with a divine miraculous experience really in our heart. David talked about 
how this was in his asking of God. If we look at Psalms 139, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path into everlasting life. Growing into honesty starts with the asking, the begging of God to be there. It also comes with inviting. Asking God to open up what's there and then inviting him in. Hosea 6.1 says this, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he is torn, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. God sometimes takes off what, what is hiding us to make us real and then heals the inner person. Finally, embracing his power to do that. And that embracing is sometimes the hardest piece. It's the waiting on God. It's where you can't do anything. It's, it's after you've asked, after you've seen where you're, where you're broken and you need healing, that then you say, God, I have to trust you are going to transform and I'm going to open myself to that. Isaiah 30, 15 says this, In repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what kind of lies have developed in your own life. My prayer is that God opens the door to your heart for you to see where you are in relationship to him. That you're open to him coming inside to the healing and that he gives you the patience to wait. We all can cry out together, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you're joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.